Good evening, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome to, my notes are correct, week 23. Week 23. When we started this six and a half years ago, we had no idea it was going to be 23 weeks of hilarity, fun, education. Actually, we started it um, 23 weeks ago, quite honestly, on the initial throes of the pandemic, a program we call Shelter in Place. I already see the entire Greasy family is here. Jim Brubaker from Colorado is here. Julie Fogarty, Sarah is here. And I wanna give you a little bit of uh, some housekeeping items. Martin Cody here with Seller Angels, co-founder, chief operating officer. Denise Cody is off to the side. Production studio tonight, we have Kim in the production studio who will be talking to me in the ear and making certain that the hashtags we divvy out are appropriate. Uh, Denise is going to put some stuff in the chat line to make certain you are actually communicating with each other and not sending us questions that we don't see. So let's make certain we do that. Uh, for those of you that are new to the program, this is, I said, 23 weeks in a row where we get to sit down, relax, kick back, and, and get deep into wine with some of the small, highest and limited production producers in Napa and Sonoma, and tonight is no different. Uh, we are gonna dig deep into some Cabernet Sauvignon, a special place behind me in Coombsville. And as I say every single week, just because we have to physically distance does not mean we have to socially distance. And wine brings people together. So we are gonna have a heck of an evening this tonight. Uh, it is, for those of you that also knew, it's our second show on East Coast time. So it's 8.01 and that is late. This is literally, I'm, I usually, we go to the senior dinners by now. Uh, we're in bed. We're taking the tennis balls off the walker, retiring for the evening and uh, sipping down with some wine. And there's really very few people that I like to sip wine with more in an environment than this, uh, than Rebecca. And Rebecca Sandry Griffin, without further ado, I want to introduce you to Cellar Angels and week 23 of SIP. So welcome and thank you so much for sharing your evening with us. Thanks for having us, Martin. I appreciate it. This is uh, going to be super fun. I've been working with you all and Cellar Angels for several years. And when I saw you were doing these fun Friday SIP things, I was like, please, I'd like to join. So thanks for having me. You are welcome, and I'm going to toast your, your health, your harvest, your success, and, uh, and certainly your hospitality, because it is right up there with everything that Napa and Sonoma are famous for, so thanks to you. Thank you. And, and you're right. It's funny. I was doing some research, and I was trying to figure out uh, when we first started working together, and it goes all the way back to 2013. So it's uh, 20, 2006, I think, was your first vintage. Uh, 2013, seven years later, we had the, the honor, really, and privilege of discovering you, and you had reached out to us and said, hey, I, I like the cut of your jib. You guys seem to have a good time promoting small, independent wineries, so, so let's work together. Here we are seven years later. This is, I think, our fifth or sixth venture, and uh, now we're going to sit back and enter people's homes because that's what pandemics do. Uh, but I want to go back to kind of the beginning, and when you were uh, but a wee child, where did you grow up? Where did you kind of uh, matriculate, college, that sort of thing, and then and kind of weave it into how on earth you got into one? So born and raised in Northern California, um, I am the fourth, my children, fifth generation uh, he, to here. Uh, my great-grandmother emigrated to Northern California uh, in a little town called South San Francisco, right near the airport. 
Um, my father was a firefighter. My mother worked for the airlines. We grew up on just your average neighborhood um, area. My parents started coming uh, to Napa Valley when I was in college. I, was, I attended St. Mary's College in Moraga here in California. And they started visiting, becoming good fans of being up here. Um, got involved in business in another hospitality realm in the world of um, motel and accommodations and decided they wanted to retire. So while my father was still working, but my mom had retired, they started in search for a property. And in fact, you, you may remember this. My father's goal was to find a small condo or townhome. So he would not have a big yard to take care of while he was visiting Napa. And in 1992, they bought 20 acres of undeveloped property in Coombsville, Appalachian. It wasn't yet Coombsville, but that's... How, how old was he and your mom when they said, you know what, I wanna retire? Um, my mom had an early retirement and um, more so because she had three children that could be challenging as teenagers. So <laughs> no. truly when we, were in when we were in high school, my mom said, I think I need to stay home and manage this a little bit better. <laughs> so she early, she early retired. Um, so she was in her early forties. Um, my dad left the fire department um, at 56, I think 57 years old um, and, and and came up to Napa and so but they they owned the home for almost 10 years before my father actually retired um, in fact that was the impetus to the grapes so they didn't even buy the property in Napa thinking we want to get into grapes we, we still want to be farmers um, they were like everybody that's watching and, and chatting with us they were on the consumer end of this whole wine world and they knew that they were in and amongst some of the top producers in, in the country, if not the world. And it wasn't until my father retired from the fire department in 99 that my mother said, what are you gonna do with all this dirt? So if you can see the photo that we're broadcasting of our part of our front vineyard, that was all just open horse pasture. And my mom said, will you landscape it? And my dad said, I will not. That sounds terrible. And so sought advice. Let me orient people. Uh, this vineyard behind me is part of the family property. And Rebecca has graciously actually set up her phone on a gimbal to look out a window in front of her currently live. So you can see uh, the property. And, and then you can see Napa is just over this hill to the right a little bit, downtown Napa. And I'll show you where we are really close uh, on Google Earth in a second. But I do want to say hello to Connie Saunders and also Megan Thorne. Uh, thank oh, you so hey. Much. Hey. hey. Uh, thank you so much for joining. For everyone is curious, because and also Sean Manning uh, in Colorado. We have a, a couple of Colorado contingents. Sarah M. I don't know if I said hello to Sarah M. before. Sarah, witness protection, not revealing the last name, but that's okay. Uh, we're all friends here, Sarah. Uh, and again, uh, by all means, go ahead and talk in the, in the webinar chat so that people can ask questions. Denise is monitoring that. I also want to welcome everybody on Facebook. This is a, a great opportunity to be able to leverage two platforms to reach wine lovers. And I encourage you that please, if you want to take a picture and upload that picture on where you're tasting, how you're tasting, at the end of the night, we give uh, quite a substantial cash prize to the winning picture. 
and we don't actually, but the pictures are still really kind of fun to look at. And so a couple people- I was people, like, wait, I might enter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your picture right here is currently leading. Uh, so, but uh, everybody on Facebook, welcome. We've got a, a great evening uh, set up for you right now. I wanna show you kind of, a lot of us are drinking the 2014 Cabernet Sauvignon, which we're gonna talk about in detail, but everyone always asks, how, how do I get that wine? And how did you guys get the wine ahead of time? And the way you get the wine is you go to the Cellar Angels website, which I am doing right now. And we have what is referred to as a SIP kit. The current shelter in place, SIP, we don't invent the uh, names, they just invent themselves and we leverage them. So shelter in place spells SIP. It's kind of what we do as professional drinkers and wine consumers. This will have the next six Friday night wines in it. So if you were to go to the Cellar Angels website, you can grab that and for the next six Friday nights, you'll be set. You can see Rebecca's wine right here is front and center. This is a little bit of a tease because the week after Rebecca, we've got some bubbles. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not hard to please the angels with bubbles. So uh, by all means, go ahead and check out the Cellar Angels website. And again, welcome Facebook, welcome Zoom. And so your father was 56 years of age and he's, he was thinking about retiring, which is good by the way, because I'm 54 and I'm thinking about it every day. So right? I feel like we're kindred spirits there. They buy 20 acres of land that was not developed and it was horse pasture. Yeah. Who, con who convinced him to say, yeah, you're, you're going to want to turn this soil over? Well, my mom wanted him, like I said, to landscape. And he thought that sounded like a terrible labor intensive idea. So he actually looked into things like olive trees and uh, fruit orchards and stuff first. His First, I have to preface by saying, growing up in a big Italian family, we always had gardens and fruit trees in our yard. Um, I tell people we were farm to table before it was a cool thing. Um, it's just being a very thrifty Italian family. My grandfather would say, why would I buy it if I could grow it? So I grew up, even though it was in a regular neighborhood, a, 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 you know, a city neighborhood, I had fruit trees and gardens um, on a smaller scale in our yard always. And when he went into the pasture and started digging it up with the tractor and looking at what he would be needed to do that, he found a tremendous amount of um, not very soil, nutrient rich, rocky soil, doesn't hold very, water very well, and thought, oh my goodness, I can't grow anything out here. It would be, take so much amendment. And then was chatting with um, a, a new friend that they had met that was happened to be working um, in a vineyard close by and he said what do you think and the guy said why do you want to put so much work just plant grapes yep. <laughs> truly that's how it started and then my dad went and did homework on what it meant to be a grape farmer and uh, we planted our first vineyard of cab in 99. oh wow uh, that's quick. And then you're right. Just the, the sound of landscaping sounds far more laborious than vineyards. Vineyards has that little romantic ring to you. You're like, hey, vineyards, that actually sounds right? nice. Not recognizing that they too are a crop that require a tremendous amount of work. Um, right. But it's a lot better than, you know, eating corn at the end of the day. No disrespect to corn farmers, but th there are grapes. And so your first cab vineyard was planted in 99. And the decision for Cabernet seems obvious, but was, was there research behind it? Was there a passion for Cabernet? Tell me about that. So it, it really was thoughtful in that um, in researching the area, because at the time we weren't yet in AVA and my folks were you know, relatively new, but they had a lot of friends who were already in the business. So 
Um, they, like I said, talked to the guy who was managing the vineyard that was um, just behind us. They took some soil samples and did some uh, talking to some local folks, viticulture people that were up a little farther north and then talked to our neighbor, uh, John. And John said, don't let them tell you, you can't grow cab out here. You have great property for gab. So um, that's how it went is based on the soil analysis that came back and recommendation of neighbors that were already doing it and doing it successfully, um, they chose cab. And it, it was a, a very good coincidence that cab was also one of my father's favorites, but that was, it truly was just a, a bonus, right? Because you don't want to grow what doesn't grow well. So we were happy then to have cab. And, and, and a little bit uh, prescient too, because fast forward from 99 to 2011, when Coombsville is recognized as an AVA for the production of outstanding cab, and you're already in the heart of Coombsville country. So I, I want to talk a little bit about that, but I also want to welcome Barb Randall. Thank you so much for joining. And I do want to show people kind of the, the location, and Scotland Kiefer's not on, so he's going to miss the Google Earth portion. Uh, I apologize, Scotland. Uh, but let, let's kind of orient ourselves to, you, you mentioned an Italian heritage and Cabernet famous for its Italian heritage or not. Um, but this is where you're from and all of our Italian friends, I know Jeff Greasy, who was kind enough to serve us an unbelievable Italian wine about a month and a half ago when we had dinner with them in Barrington, Illinois. Uh, we're all big fans of old world wines. So talk to us about where we are here between these two villages. So that's the area where uh, my great grandmother and great grandfather, my on my father's side, um, originates and still is. Um, we still have uh, lots of family that live there, and it's up in the mountain regions um, of Liguria. And they, I, I struggle to call them villages or towns. They are just homesteads on top of mountains. And my grandmother, my great grandmother, was one of fourteen children. And she and three siblings emigrated here um, right out at the early 1900s um, to just, you know, establish family and have a better tomorrow for themselves and get off that mountain. Um, we like to go and return to the mountain. It's a beautiful place. My family ha runs um, an Agua Turismo up there called Montaña Verde, where you can stay and enjoy their cooking. They have restaurant and everything that um, does Everything is about the chestnuts. That's their that's their agriculture. And if I'm if I'm not mistaken, uh, there's an angel bonus offer this evening for that anybody that buys a case gets a week stay at that agriculture turismo. Uh, I am I, I, I am mistaken. I, I apologize for that. That clearly is not the case. Uh, okay, so that's where we're from in Italy. So let's you know kind of. Everyone hang on to your seats because we did this earlier and it, it is a ride. Let's go see where we are in Napa. Yikes. Oh, you're taking the long way. <laughs> yeah, we, we rode the shuttle. Um, actually, I want to pan out a little bit so you can see, people can see just how close you are to downtown Napa, which is right here. And then, I mean, literally seven minutes outside of Napa is this area, which when you think seven minutes outside of Napa, you don't think what's behind me and you don't think what's over here in the bottom of your cell phone, because it is just absolutely picture perfect. And Google Earth doesn't really do it justice. This is a steep hillside right here. I mean, walking down to this lake 
is uh, there's some topographic relief. It, it is uh, it can be pretty treacherous, I would imagine, uh, when it's when it's slipped from some rain. Absolutely. So um, the on the south side of that of the pond where the tree lines are is actually the bottom of a relatively steep hill that abuts Skyline State Park. So we share our backyard with Mother Nature. So all open space, which is lovely. Um, you know, my, and the hillside right behind the house, um, the only reason why it doesn't have those green vine things is it's a pretty steep sloped hill as well. So you, you can't really tell, but um, that, you know, there's lots of, like you said, topographic topographical relief and lots of hillsides and slopes which cab and grapevines in general really enjoy and that is just a little piece of mother nature that my parents fell in love with 25 years ago. Uh, and I'm glad they did uh, because it's absolutely spectacular. I mean the first time I was out at your property like I said in 2013 I'm still amazed to this day but even back then I, I was just dumbfounded that five minutes right outside of Napa and I'm in this type of backdrop and it, it is truly amazing uh, what you have there. So I applaud your parents for identifying that, falling in love with it, landscaping it to vineyards and uh, the rest as they say is history. But, but on that history, you planted the first grapes in 99 and then your first vintage was 2006. How big was the vintage in 06? Um, so prior to that, we were growers, so we sold our fruit to other uh, winemakers for their production. So year, each year the production grew, and in 2006, we made the very first Chandry Family Vineyards offering, and um, it was a total of about close to 450 cases. So okay. we, we kept back a lot more fruit than we do today. We still sell a little bit of fruit, um, but because we were just one family with one wine, um, we, we knew that we were going to have to have, um, you know, a reasonable amount of it. So yeah, our first vintage was 450 cases. And for a tiny little family vineyard just starting out, that's a lot of wine. That, oh my goodness, you had to be uh, both probably exhilarating to see that amount and petrified to see that amount. <laughs> my, my father said, um, we better make sure that we, we make a wine that we like to drink because if we can't sell this, we have a lot of wine to drink. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and I wanna thank Dan Goderis for joining. Dan's in Iowa and Dan, hopefully you survived that wicked storm that went through there last week. And also Mary Henricks, Mary, I think it's Heinrichs, Henricks. It's a, I, I'm teasing, my God, it's my mother-in-law. Denise is sitting here just chastising me. Um, <laughs> So let me actually, uh, since we talked about some heritage, we talked about some history, I want to launch our first poll question. And, and for people that don't have the bottle, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the bottle um, so they can get a little bit of familiarity with it. But it's, I, I'm a big fan of the bottle. I'm a big fan of the story. But here's the first question. So get ready, people. Uh, the two blue triangles on the Chandry label represent the flag of pronunciation, please. Quercia, Italy. Quercia, Italy, uh, where the family is from originally. The eight grapes on the label represent the children of the family, the eight acres of estate Cabernet Sauvignon, eight generations of winemakers in the family. Uh, so now no one has actually been told this information in advance. So this is a, not a take home quiz. This is, this, is, this is true virtual learning. 
right? All right Can we give this technology to my children's school district? <laughs> Seriously, we can be hired out. Uh, all right, I'm going to give five more seconds. Everybody can answer. Facebook, folks, you've got this too. So uh, those questions are launched on Facebook. Children of the family, eight acres of the state Cabernet, eight generations of winemakers in the family, five, four, three, two, one. Any ideas? All over the board. Right. So well, the, the, the 50 percentile um, folks win. It, it actually represents um, not just the children, but all members of the family who started the business, including at the time, my two children who are now uh, 17 and 19, but at the time were um, four and five. They, they are official members of our business. They are part of our um, corporation articles. I, as their, um, you know, their trustee, and in fact, my son, when he turned 18 last year, I had a moment of panic thinking I had to bring him to board meetings and he would get a vote until I checked our bylaws and made sure we said 21. So I have a couple more years before he can vote against me. Well, and, and if you, and I don't want to speak out of turn here, but if you have any HR concerns, Jeff and Jane, Jane Greasy on uh, the chat right now, uh, Jeff's an HR expert and has been for years. So, uh, and, Child labor law disputes, I don't know, but HR, he's your guy. Uh, Amy so, McGowan, welcome on Facebook. Thanks so much for joining. So this is kind of cool. In, when my children um, were younger, maybe 10 or 11, my oldest son said to me, Mom, did you know, which usually means I'm going to get some sort of life lesson from him, um, did you know that there are child labor laws and you and a minimum wage that you have to pay us if we work? And I giggled and patted him and I said, but did you know that family farms are exempt from that? Isn't that cool? <laughs> See, you were much kinder than my mom. My mom, and which I'm sure of her generation would have said, did you know I brought you into this world and <laughs> I can take you out of this world? Child labor laws notwithstanding, and not a judge would convict me. Um, shockingly, I'm still here because she tried, I think, a couple of times. So I love the eight generations or the eight people, not eight generations, I apologize, the eight people. And it is a family farm. I mean, it, it is, uh, everyone pitches in. And, and so you didn't grow up in an agricultural family, obviously. You didn't go to college for ag. And, and was it something that you just fell in love with when you got up to the, to the magic of the countryside and, and just embraced it? Or did you yeah. go kicking it? No, absolutely. So my father fell in love with it when he was up here. In fact, I didn't really think anything would make him more happy or fulfilled in terms of career as he felt about being a firefighter. Um, he truly loved that we were part of a huge firefight family um, in South San Francisco. And when my dad got on his tractor, he went back, he was like a small child playing in dirt. He absolutely loved it. Um, he liked to tell people he was retired. I tried to remind him that being retired and being a full-time farmer are not exactly the same, um, yeah. but he did not see it as a new job. It was something he did out of pure pleasure and joy from his heart. And I actually avoided it for many years. My husband's kept saying, are you going to join your family business? No. Are you going to join? No. And oh, about 
I don't know, maybe 10 years into being living up here in Napa, my husband's like, whether you like it or not, I don't want to break it to you, but you're doing it. So I, I had plenty of day jobs in the wine industry here in Napa, learned from some amazing vintners and people about the, the way the industry works and the, the ins and outs of the hospitality and all of that and, and viticulture. And then in 2013, joined my family um, full time. I tell people I quit my day job, which was really good in wine and um, paid me well. And I joined my family full time. I am currently, my husband makes me say the only paid employee, not just the only employee, because I do make um, my husband, my children, my brothers, my mom, they all help me when I need help. When, when it comes time to package your wine club, they're helping me. When it comes time to, um, you know, bottling and in the vineyard during harvest, they're all here front and center participating 100%. Um, but the day-to-day -day running of the operations um, falls on me. So, and, and how many brothers do you have? I have two brothers, um, both of which now currently live in Napa, which brings my mother so much joy. All of us live in the same town for the first time since we were in high school. Um, wow. They both um, came to Napa, started in different places, and we all now live in Coombsville. So um, just like when we lived in South City, all family and cousins living close together, um, we all live in the same area. And I want to come back to the, the family tree for a second, but I also want to uh, spend a couple minutes on Coombsville per se as an AVA. And, and we talk a lot about uh, fruit sources, vineyard sources, and, and different AVAs, both in Napa and Sonoma, and, and the uniqueness of, of what makes an AVA an AVA. And having been in the wine industry now for a long, long time, and both on the retail side of things and as Cellar Angels, Coombsville is the most recent AVA in Napa Valley, and it was recognized as a, an American viticultural area in 2011. But what's fascinating is, is that there were some very, very, and still are to this day, extremely prominent winemakers and wineries that were sourcing fruit from Coombsville. But because it was considered horse country out in the sticks, so to speak, it didn't have that uh, pomp and circumstance and panache appeal. So the, the quote unquote big boys, and I'm, I'm talking some big boys. So you've got Quintessa that sourced fruit from Coombsville for years, Farniente for years. Um, Faust for years, Joseph Phelps for years have been sourcing Cabernet from this little AVA to produce hundreds of dollars of bottles of wine uh, and they didn't want to reveal the source. So it's kind of like the chefs that go to the, the little farmers markets and, and source their produce for that evening's degustation menu from these little boutique farms, but they don't reveal their sources. Well, then the secret got out. Uh, and as Rebecca said, she was selling fruit to some of these um, well-known wineries because they were growers and they keep a small fraction of the amount to bottle themselves. And if memory serves, you're not over 700 to 800 cases a year, depending upon the yield. Yeah, exactly. We, we still, our total production ranges between six and 700 cases a year, depending on what mother nature provides for us. And um, the remainder we sell. I, I tell folks, I've got to pay for those expensive French barrels somehow. <laughs> Uh, Eve Villanroy, Eve, I'm not going to be able to pronounce your, Eve your name. Eve Villanroy. <laughs> okay. Why, why did I not know that? And Rebecca knew it. Um, yes, Eve, welcome to uh, Shelter in Place SIP Week 23 with Rebecca from Chandri Family Vineyards. Uh, we are talking about 
Cabernet Sauvignon, we're talking about Coombsville, but we're also talking about family dynamics. So where do you fall in the sequence of birth order with your brothers? I am the eldest and the only girl. <laughs> you probably don't use that to your advantage ever. Maybe just a little. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and what is the age difference? Um, we are each two years apart. So I was born in 1970 and then 72 and 74 respectively, my brothers. And so now you're all in Coombsville. Are they married? Kids? Um, yeah, both my brothers are married. Um, my youngest brother, Ryan, uh, he and his wife, Nicole, have a little boy named Lucius, who's just turning five in October. Um, we both have October babies. Like, did, what were we thinking? Um, harvest and birthday parties don't always work out well. <laughs> no. Um, um, so yeah, and my other brother, Ron, is, has his, he and his wife, um, Melinda, and they're here in Napa as well. And so, yeah, we, have, we all hang out together. It's pretty fun. So I would imagine grandma and grandpa have got to be thrilled beyond belief to have all of these uh, little ones running around the property. My, my mom couldn't be happier to have her grandchildren. Absolutely. That is outstanding. I don't know. I don't know how happy she is to always have her children around. That's the truth. But she's happy to have. So, and just as a as a little egg nugget of trivia, because we just did the um, the logo, the label, and its intention. Um, we also make a rosé and a Sauvignon Blanc, and those bottles are screen printed. So those bottles on the logo have three additional grapes: one for each of my sister in laws and one for my nephew. Oh, nice. I like it. And also, uh, welcome to Tom Randall. So Tom, thanks for joining. Outstanding supporter of Solar Angels. Uh, does, I mean, the family winemaking aspect, and, and just so everyone knows, uh, you remember about a month or so ago, we had Elise Nearlove from Elkhorn Peak. And, and Elise was uh, a pioneer in getting us, Solar Angels, to embrace and support uh, Save the Family Farms. And Rebecca is actually, I don't want to say a, a partner in crime, but, but a partner in do-gooding, if you will, uh, because this is the exact type of production that we're trying to save. So when you buy wine from Cellar Angels and you, when you buy this 2014 Cabernet Sauvignon and, and you select the box that says Save the Family Farms, we give a portion of proceeds to their organization. And they are trying to fight a very, very difficult fight. They're trying to get regulatory uh, items passed so that the family farm is not held to the same standards of case production for tastings and those sorts of things. And Rebecca, just spend 90 seconds to two minutes and, and tell us about this fight because it's, it's one of the most worthy uh, pursuits we can imagine in wine to make certain that the playing field gets a little bit more slanted towards level. Sure, so, so at its origin is a, is a local um, ordinance or document here in Napa Valley called the Winery Definition Ordinance. Um, it, it, by the way, is an amazing document that has done really a lot of good in terms of preserving agriculture as um, top and best priority for our land, the ag preserve and all of that. Napa Valley has done such a wonderful job recognizing that the lifeblood is agriculture and small family farms. But unfortunately, when the document was written, um, folks like us, the small producers, there we didn't exist because only people who had infrastructure and wine production facilities were wineries at that time. The, the regulations only allowed for that. Well, the regulations now allow for 
us to lease space at a big production facility so that we don't have to pave our streets, take down our oak trees, and all of that for our small production. Unfortunately, the county ordinance also reads that in order to have visitation on your property where your vineyard is, you have to have that production and you have to have meet all of these um, guidelines as if you were producing 20,000 cases of wine, and which first does not make economic sense for a small producer, but environmentally makes zero sense to require that much disruption to the environment for such a small producer. So we're trying to get the county who is a very understanding, it's just not an easy task to change those kind of documents and those kind of ordinances because they do have purpose and meaning. So you have to be really thoughtful about how you go about doing it. But without it, folks like us are starting to disappear because you just, the viability of um, the economics of running a vineyard and a farm and then being able to sell your wine. The distribution market for folks of my size is almost non-existent. We cannot play in that game with the large producers. So all, almost all of us depend on folks like the folks that are here today listening to this, buying wines directly from us or through partners that, that help us. And those avenues are small. So um, we're trying to just kind of open up another stream for us to participate in the commerce discussion that's going on here in Napa. And, and I think it's funny because one of our customers and most of our customers over the last 10 years since we've been uh, in business helping small production wineries, uh, they're all frequent visitors to wine country. So they, they recognize that, okay, you can go see the big boys and you usually do that on your first trip, but it's, it's trips two, three, four, five, six, seven, where all of a sudden you're back in the woods behind me and you're off the beaten path off Silverado trail or something like that. And you're sitting in someone's living room and you're thieving wine out of a barrel in the garage. And, and, and that's where they realize, okay, 80 some odd percent of the wineries in this Valley are underneath 10,000 cases yet I haven't heard of any of them. So we've got to figure out a way to save them because they're the fabric of the industry. So uh, when you do buy wine from Cellar Angels uh, and you can pick Save the Family Farms as one of our charity partners and we will give money to help Rebecca's cause because it's near and dear to us because it's such a, spe a special part of what the wine industry is. I want to talk about your winemaker. So uh, yeah, I see, I see the question that um, somebody asked is, is Don Baker still your winemaker? Um, and the answer is yes. Don Baker has been our winemaker since 2006. He remains our winemaker today. Um, and the follow-up is, do you ever see a Chandri as the winemaker? Um, maybe. Uh, I make some wine. So for those of you that don't know, um, two additions I made when joining my family in 2013. The first was the Rosé uh, and then followed in 2014 by Sauvignon Blanc. And I went to my father and said, hey, can I get a ton of fruit so that I can make some rosé? He said, no. He said, you're not taking my red grapes and making pink wine. <laughs> and I said, please, you don't even understand what kind of pink wine I want to make. It's going to be beautiful. So um, uh, Don and I worked together. He helped me learn. Um, you know, I took classes in viticulture and winemaking through Davis and through local um, JC here. And my family's been making homemade wine my entire life, sometimes good, sometimes not. So I, I, I jumped in feet first with Don and started making uh, rosé. The following year, I told Don, hey, 
I found this great Sauvignon Blanc vineyard in Coombsville, and I think we should add a white to our portfolio. And he said, really good idea. You should do that. And I went, what? I'm all done. You're the winemaker. I, when I said we, I meant you. And right. he said, no, this is a really good way for you to, you know, jump in and get your teeth wet on some white wines. Um, and so he, he helped me. Um, I, he was absolutely present and, and make, helping me not make any terrible mistakes. He asked me what my goal was for the wine. I said, to not mess it up. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to make a nice wine. Right? Is, that, is that too lofty of a goal? <laughs> yeah. To have it not kill someone? Is that, is that setting the bar too high? Just little things. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I've been making both of those wines um, since they became part of our portfolio. Um, my oldest son is headed off to college. Um, uh, who knows, right? So I, most of you maybe have heard this adage that the wine business is a whole lot of work for not a whole lot of profit. And so if it's not something that lives in your heart, it's not something you should be doing. Um, so I would never put expectations on my children to come and join me in this, in this um, adventure. But We'll see. I, nothing would make me happier if, if my, one of my children or my nephew decided that they, got, they catch the wine bug and wanted to participate in this. And, and when you say, for those of us that don't have children, uh, but for everyone that does have children, when you say my oldest son is going off to college, does that mean walking down the hallway to the, the study <laughs> or virtual classes? What, what does going off to college mean in a pandemic? So... Um, He's, he will be attending local college, uh, Sacramento State, so not too far from Napa. And they are doing virtual learning for the first semester, but he does get to move and move into the dorm. So he can't have a roommate, so he gets to be, uh, he's super happy. He gets to live in a double room by himself. They're calling it a super single. Um, and he will get a roommate when it's allowed, but until then he will be on his own. So he will get to have some of the on-campus living, um, you know, they have lots of rules about common spaces and masks and all of that, that that's good. Um, but he gets to actually leave my house and, and start that part of his life. My youngest son is a senior in high school, and he has a lovely space in my dining room where he's attending his classes. And this morning, I think I walked by and I think his eyes were closed when he was in a Zoom meeting. I'm not really sure. Um, we'll see how that goes. Well, and it's funny because you mentioned that your oldest is going off to college and he's getting a double single his freshman year. That was a rite of passage. I actually had a double single my sophomore year. And, and Mr. Manning and, and Mrs. Manning on the call this evening, uh, they remember the legendary aspect of that dorm room. Uh, the statute of limitations has long since expired for most of the activities that occurred, so we should be safe. Uh, which leads me to my second poll question. Uh, for Rebecca and the audience. So Mr. Greasy is over here in the chat indicating that he's 100% for the last five weeks in a row. So uh, we're going to ask Rebecca a, a, a challenging question. Oh. The most challenging aspect of running a family winery beyond mother nature is regulatory compliance issues with each state, reaching new customers, bargaining with children to actually work. And it's interesting because Rebecca, by the way, did not see these questions prior to, but she's already spoken about different struggles with the children. So I'm not saying that's the answer because we at Cellar Angels don't know the answer 
at all. And, and then as, as the customers are thinking about this and, and the friends of fine wine, I'll give them 10 more seconds. Uh, on the follow-up question to this, Rebecca, I want you to be thinking about what is the most gratifying aspect of the wine business? So I'll give this five, four, three, two, one. All right. The odds-on favorite for the most challenging thing that people believe is reaching new customers. So I think all three of these can be a challenge, but beyond Mother Nature, uh, and we can talk a little bit about Mother Nature because she is really being a, a wench this year. Um, what is the so, most challenging? So I, I could argue that um, on any given day, those either any of those answers is true. Um, I'll have to say that the least true of that actually is um, my children. They, they have worked um, in the vineyard and in, and in the winery helping me since they were little. Now there may be a few more eye rolls now that they're a little bit older, but they still absolutely show up every time I ask them to help and, and they're good. So I, as much as I'd like to say they were my biggest challenge, they really aren't. Um, the second one, reaching new customers, that's always a challenge, but I think that that's not specific to a small brand or my brand. I think that, you know, as a wine business, um, we're, so, we're so small. I, I rely on referrals and word of mouth, and I have an amazing army of uh, friends and fellow wine lovers that do a pretty good job of spreading the news and sharing our stuff with their friends, so I am appreciative to all of them. For those of you who have visited with me or have drank wine with me, you know that I am inherently not a rule follower. It's just not in my nature. So for me, my biggest pet peeve is the compliance and the tremendous amount of regulation and paperwork required for each individual state. I don't know why they want to know so much about me. I just want to send them their tax money and leave me alone. Right. I, I echo that. It's uh. It's so burdensome and so unnecessary and so restrictive and, and really it's, it is a rigged system. Uh, so hopefully we can continue to reach people electronically via sessions like this and leverage the power of the internet to make this uh, commerce a heck of a lot easier uh, because it's actually easier to buy wine online than it is to get in the car, go try to find and, and muddy through a wine store, work with a clerk that doesn't know what they're doing, and then you're looking at the exact same wine in every wine store around the country. So it, it's, it's challenging in that capacity, um, but that's the regulatory side. So now what is, to Dan Goderis's question on Facebook, what is some of the most gratifying aspects or, or, or the best thing about what you do? Um, Hands down, the best part about what I do is getting to meet people from all over the world that enjoy wine and want to have conversation and make connection. And I get to share my family story, just like tonight, sharing why we do what we do, how we do what we do, all the silly, funny stories behind it, all the mistakes and heartbreaks we've had along the way, but also all the triumphs and accomplishments that we've done over the years. Um, that is hundred percent the most gratifying piece. I, I got a phone call um, yesterday from, from a wine club member 
who called to say, hey, I just wanted to call. I know things are going a little haywire out there and I'm sitting down having a glass of your cuvee and made me think about you, made me think about your dad, remember my time in Napa and I just wanted to say thank you. That made oh. my day. Um, today, I got a text message um, from a customer in, in Nebraska and said, hey, I wanted to check in on you with all the fires. I saw that's another question. With all the fires, how are you doing? Everything. And he said, I remember the email you sent us when we were going through floods, and that was really um, kind, and I wanted to do the same. So for me, it's absolutely the connection with our customers and the finding the space of commonality and sharing. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and and let, let's talk a little bit about the fires because I remember in 2017, uh, you know, the media, in my opinion, kind of uh, basically made that a much bigger catastrophe than it was. I'm not trying to diminish or downplay the catastrophe that, in fact, it was. I mean, Santa Rosa was decimated from from a development and housing standpoint. I get that. But uh, for those of you that remember, Cellar Angels asked a whole bunch of people to go out and, and do it basically 30 second vignette to say, hey, we're still open for business. And, and Rebecca was one of them. And, and so Rebecca walked out into the vineyard, did a 30 second vineyard, a vignette rather that says, hey, please come visit. Uh, we're still open for business. And uh, that was 2017. And now here we are with the pandemic. On top of that, we have more fires. So uh, educate everybody on, on where you are geographically, where the fires are and how things are looking. Sure, so um, if you remember going back to Martin's Google Earth, um, we are right outside the town of Napa. So we are on the southern end of Napa in the Eastern Hills. And in 2017, the fire that started on Atlas Peak burned on the Western slope of the Vacker Mountain Range. It was our backyard. And so the fires got closer than I ever would have wanted them to. It was, an, it, I'm not gonna lie, it was an intense time. We were blessed at the amount of aid that came to Napa Valley at the time. We were one of the biggest wildfires in California. And so we had the blessing of a lot of mutual aid. Um, it, it was something that I would have never thought I, that we would have to experience in a lifetime again, let alone only three years later. This year, um, the that was started by lightning storms, which are also uncharacteristic of California at this time of year. And it's on the eastern slope of the Vaca Mountain Range. So on the uh, Lake County side into the Fairfield Vacaville um, side. So while parts of Northern Napa County um, have, have are, are evacuated and we have had some losses of um, homes, it's far less than it was in 2017 in terms of structural damage by far. Um, there are other towns a little bit farther north that are taking a pretty big hit, but nothing like Santa Rosa did um, in 2017. The containment is not as quick, and that's because um, our entire state's on fire from lightning strike. So we have seven fires um, in Napa County um, currently, and there's some of them have converged and others haven't. Um, but in uh, Northern California, in the Bay Area, seven out of the eight Bay Area counties have significant wildfire. Right now, quite frankly, the, the biggest fire um, and their biggest issue in terms of uh, life safety is the one in Santa Cruz. So a lot of, you know, we don't see a lot of the planes this time around and how, you know, a lot of the mutual aid from other states, 
those folks are going to Santa Cruz because they are by far fighting a much larger fire than we are this year. I, I pray for them and their safety for, you know, they have, they have a vineyard uh, culture too down there. Um, so, and not just vineyard culture, but you know, homes and livelihoods and, and uh, agriculture and wildlife and all of that. So um, my heart goes out to them because I know what it's like to have that happen. And um, I'm, I'm happy to report that Napa proper and Napa Valley in terms of what you know in terms of visitation um, is open for business as it was prior. I mean, outside the pandemic, of course. But, yeah. Well, and um, longtime, seller angel, longtime seller angel fans may remember, uh, we actually did a video uh, several years ago down in Santa Cruz with Bonnie Dune and Randall Graham. Uh, so it's a gorgeous area and, and our heart goes out to them because we want to, I mean, we are now uh, have relocated from Chicago to South Florida. We're in Naples. It's currently pouring. Uh, so uh, on the, <laughs> Florida has been very welcoming to us. Uh, Mother Nature also is very interestingly going to make our lives a little interesting. So this is coming our direction. So what I want to do, uh, and by the way, this is a, a tropical right? storm that it, it's nothing. This is a tropical storm. It might be a level one hurricane on whatever that is Monday. I've, it, level ones are babies. I've, I've played golf in worse rain than this. Uh, but what we want to do is, is see if we can't channel some of all this moisture and send it your way because you had 11,000 lightning strikes in a single day, which basically spawned all of these fires. And, and it's not anything that anybody wants to see and, like you mentioned in 2017, we, we thought we were done with all of this. Uh, the pandemic's hard enough, uh, but I wanna get back to your wine. And, and I love the fact that you said, I wanna make a rosé, which is outstanding, uh, a Sav Blanc, and you have a cab. You've got 700 cases or so on a good year with what mother nature can do from a yield standpoint. What is the portfolio? And not only the portfolio from a case volume per varietal, but what's the philosophy and what are you after? I, I am not really sure how to answer that question. So um, first and foremost for my family is we put our name on this bottle. So I don't ever want to put something out into the world that I wouldn't put on my own table. Um, and we're such a small brand that um, I can't risk the idea that somebody would take a chance. Let's say seller angels, they want to be philanthropic. They're going to buy a bottle of wine they've never had before. They're going to give back to charity. All of that feels good. And then they get a bottle of wine that they don't care for because because I chose to put something less than what we would normally do so we'll never do that um, in 2017 that meant that we don't have an estate cap our fruit was still hanging on the vine and um, managed to have enough significant smoke taint to make it unpredictable let's say so um, while the wine after making it was fine tasting, it, it was just too volatile chemically and potentially later, so we chose not to. Um, so that, that's a hard hit to take as a small vineyard. Um, but as a family, we've always said that we just have to, we have to hold true to our standards. Um, so we'll figure it out. We always make a little bit of wine. Um, you know, you, you produce a wine, you bottle the wine, sometimes there's maybe you know a barrel or so left over, and you know just didn't go into the production. Well, we will blend 
those wines together and make a small bit of family production wine just for ourselves and family. We made a decision when we didn't have a 2017 cab that we were gonna go ahead, in fact, it's already bottled. And so this, not this fall, but next fall when the 2017s are going to release, um, we will have a new wine that we've never had before called Eli. And it is a non-vintage family blend, which would have been our family wines that will go out to our wine club and folks that just don't wanna miss out. Um, we also have, it's a tiny production. Um, right now it's only for wine club members. So if you're not a wine club member, you might wanna reach out and find out how you become one. Um, because we make a blend that is Cabin Syrah, we did have Syrah already harvested in 2017. So we will have, we have 32 cases of a single vineyard Coombsville Syrah. It's huh. Make that 31 cases because I'd like to get a case of that. Um, and, and Megan and Sean, we agree the 2014 is fantastic. And, and I, if I can trouble you, Rebecca, uh, drink with us the 2014 and, and tell me, I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's six years already uh, from an age standpoint. What I love is, is still the grip of the tannins and, and the elegance and depth of the fruit. Now, uh, when I say grip of tannins, I say that in a positive connotation, right? You know, it's not off-putting. It's not undrinkable. It's, it, is, it, it has some bite to it, some strength, some substance, but the fruit is amazing. What do you, what do you find in this wine? And, and you've probably visited this, you know, 50 times. How is it evolving? So um, I find, you know, as, as with our portfolio in general, um, especially with the cabs, is... Coombsville, one of its characteristics is nice, soft, supple tannins. So even early on, they tend to be a little bit more round and a little bit more approachable on the palate, even though they're substantial in terms of existing in, in the wine for ageability and for structure of the wine. I'm finding this really soft. Um, like you said, I, I have a little bit of a bite on the side, which is pleasant. It kind of helps the fruit kind of hang out in that back palate a little bit. Um, it, I'm finding this wine drinking really well right now. I, I think that all the um, fruit flavors, right? So all those really dried cherries and cranberries, a little bit of currant, all those um, kind of deep red fruit colors um, are what I'm tasting tonight. Uh, I'm not yet tasting the secondary tertiary age ability, the whole cigar box and earth floor. Um, right. There is always an earthiness to these wines, a minerality um, that's also indicative of Coombsville. So that's that nice acid piece um, that will develop as it ages farther. I'm a big fan. It is uh, extremely approachable, has a lot of power and finesse. And, and, and you're right, that softness of the Coombsville fruit is there and it's in perfect balance. So uh, well done. And, and I think this has got quite a few more years of cellarability on it. I, I would agree. I, I happened to see in the Zoom chat that um, Megan and Pete uh, down in Bakersfield, they opening a bottle of our 06, which is our first vintage of cab. And um, and so I, I, I thank you all. I, I happen to have had some recently and that wine, if you have it in your cellar, you should be drinking it. It's got beautiful second and tertiary development um, flavors and aromas. Um, I'm a big fan when a wine ages and it's kind of very old worldy and it gets that hint of um, funk 
right? A little bit of mustiness uh, to the wine. Our 06 is absolutely showing that with beautiful um, aromatics. I, I'm I'm a big fan right now. I, I I tell folks it's it's time to drink it. If it's in your cellar, you should be drinking it. And invite people over, and and we yes. go. So if, if you want us to come drink it with you, um, that would be fine too. Uh, right. All right. I have a question to ask you. It's our final question of the evening. Okay. So, so Mr. Greasy, I didn't hear you brag about the second answer. So I'm guessing the undefeated streak might be in jeopardy. But here we go. If I wasn't running the winery, I would be traveling tour guide for Tuscany. I should put my glasses on because I can't read that second one. State representative to change tasting room laws. Chemical engineer developing new fermentation yeast strains. Wow. And as, as we wait and people hum the tune to Jeopardy in their heads as we get the answer ready, I do see in the chat that Jeff, in fact, went down in flames for question number two. So his undefeated streak over several weeks is now. Oh, sorry, Jeff. I hope it, I, I, if, if you only knew that I was inherently a rule breaker, you would have knew that the regulations were not going to happen for me. And Megan, if I was near Bakersfield, you would hear a knock on your door 106 degrees or not. <laughs> They have AC, don't worry. That's a good point. All right, we're gonna give it another five, four, three, two, one. What would Rebecca be doing? Ding, ding, maybe ding. Um, so the truth is I, I would not be a chemical engineer, although I wish I could. Um, my ADD brain won't allow me to focus that long to get, become an engineer. Um, state representative, there's none of you that want me involved in politics. This face can't t hide emotions or tell a lie. So there would be a lot of people disappointed in my, are you kidding me face when they talk? So um, travel and tour guide to Tuscany, who's coming? Let's start next year. I'm, I'm retiring. So is there anything that, um, and I love, by the way, the honesty and the candor of your lack of political face ability. So remind us all that if we need a poker partner, we want to play against Rebecca. Um, oh, I'm pretty good in that. I'm pretty good in that genre. I, 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 you know, I don't suffer fools wisely, so I can't do the other thing. Big fan of people that don't suffer fools wisely or lightly. So if it wasn't one of those three, and let's say you had your druthers, I mean, a tour guide, obviously, for Tuscany, for, that, that does sound pretty dang nice. Anything else that, that you kind of look back on or, or kind of fantasize about and say, hey, that'd be a nice gig? Um, you know, over the years, there have been several things that have piqued my interest. And, um, you know, I've kind of like, oh, maybe what if? But, you know, the truth is, my dad said, find something you're good at and stick to it. Hey, this drinking wine for a living and getting to meet people and talk to people and be social all day long, I'm going to say that's pretty top notch. Um, you know, if you have to be a farmer, being a farmer in California, well, unless Mother Nature's playing games with you, isn't terrible. And if you had to pick a farming crop, wine grapes is probably at the top of the list. I, I think that I think I'm staying where I am. Well, all of us hope, in fact, you do. And uh, we hope the children actually graduate into the business once virtual education is over. 
I, I do want to remind everybody that uh, Rebecca takes time out of her busy day to spend this evening with us, and we are forever grateful. Uh, any wine purchases, I, 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 it's hard for us to show a bias towards one of our charity partners because, you know, you have World Central Kitchen, which is feeding people all over the world, and you have cancer charities and, and medical charities and homeless shelters. There's no bad option. There is really no bad option. The, the only bad option is not buying wine and picking a charity. Uh, but uh, Save the Family Farms is, is also about as good as it can get because this is what it's all about. Uh, people like yourselves letting us into your living room, your back patios, your family rooms, uh, your dens once a week uh, to share great wine with great people like Rebecca. And uh, I want you all to get a sip kit if you haven't gotten one already for the next six weeks in a row and select Save the Family Farms. Grab some of the 2014 because uh, unlike Doritos, they aren't making more. So uh, I think you should, should get some. And uh, next week we have, next week, by the way, we have Guy Davis from Davis Family Farm, or Davis Family Vineyards in Sonoma, but we haven't made contact yet. We, so we were waiting for the confirmation. It's I've been on the schedule for months, but we hope the fires haven't interrupted that. And if we have to call an audible, you might just be stuck with Denise and I in a family tasting on a whole Zoom meeting, uh, not the webinar format. So Rebecca, I'd be remiss if I, again, didn't thank you. And uh, it's so good to see you and, and spending time with you as usual has been a blast. Uh, anything thank you else? for having me. Thanks for having me, Martin. Uh, you and Denise make this so easy to participate. You, you've been a huge advocate of us for many years, like you said, so greatly appreciated to you and all the angels that have found us through you. Um, I see Denise said that I offered to be your tour guide. Here's the secret, Denise. We were planning a trip for Tuscany before the pandemic hit. We were going to go Tuscany 2021. So I think we're just going to push it one extra year. It gives people some time for recouping. So Chandra Vineyards goes to Tuscany 2022. Um, it's another really good reason to look us up. No, and speaking of looking you up, and the networks don't mind if we go over a little bit because we've got a pretty good license with them. Where does someone taste your wine if they were to come out to the valley? And, and while you might break a lot of rules and have them at the house behind me, if, they, if that wasn't available, where could they taste your wines with you? So here's, here's a good thing. Um, we are also embarking on a brand new adventure. Um, slated October 12th is the secret squirrel open date. Um, we are um, getting together with five other small family brands that I've been co-marketing and doing business with for several years. And downtown Napa Valley will have a tasting room called Mia Carta and we will be there. So you can um, go there. Um, for those of you that know the secret password on how to get a hold of me, um, I, I sometimes invite friends to visit the vineyard. I, I don't, I don't know, you know, we'll, we'll have, We'll have a glass of wine. I don't know what, what else we'll do, but um, yeah, just thank you for, for finding me. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for, you know, supporting. Do we know the secret password? Right. I miss you in North Carolina too. Good. Um, well, thank you again. We don't know the secret password, so we'll talk afterwards on the debrief on what that is. Uh, so <laughs> we definitely need to know that. Uh, again, everyone, thank you so much for allowing us into your lives this evening, and we will see you next week for week 24 of Shelter in Place and SIP. Uh, do yourself a favor, stay safe, invite a good family member over, social distance, drink great wine, support great causes, and be good to one another. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you.
thank you so much for everything you do. Appreciate it. Cheers.